Hi, I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture. And you are listening to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. My guest today is Kathleen Schuler. Kathleen is a senior policy analyst with the Institute of Ag and Trade Policy. Her focus is very interesting, though. It's on food and health and chemicals in our environment. Kathleen, thank you for being here with me. It's my pleasure. Well, you've got a, a title as Senior Policy Analyst in the Food and Health Program at the Institute of Ag and Trade Policy. Can you tell me a little bit about what you do? Well, as a public health professional, I try to present scientific information for the average person and give people practical information that they can use to take care of themselves and also to act as citizens to um, advocate for policies that are more protective, that protect our food system, that protect our health, and especially children and women of childbearing age. Well, I know you are the author of several fantastic SMART guides. And if our listeners are not familiar with these, I just want to take a moment and say that the Institute of Ag and Trade Policy's Food and Health Program has a series of publications called SMART Guides, and I use them in my public health education work. Uh, you've got a SMART Guide on hormones in the food system, on, on plastics, on meat and dairy, on fish. I know you've been specifically involved with looking at plastics lately. It's been hot and heavy in the news. So why don't we talk about plastics? That sounds good. Are there some plastics that are more dangerous than others in the food system? Yes, and there's been, as as most of your listeners know, um, a lot in the media about plastics. And there are some plastics that are better than others. And we're most concerned about the food use of plastics or plastics where there's going to be exposure, such as a toy that a child would chew on. So a few years ago, we drafted this smart plastics guide to give people practical information so they can make consumer choices to protect their health. So the plastics that we're most concerned about are PVC plastic, which is the number three. And we're concerned about that because in the manufacturing process, it can create dioxin, which gets into the environment and builds up in the food chain in meat and dairy and fish. And also they add... There's a lot of additives that go into PVC plastic. To soften it, they add phthalates. Phthalates uh, are hormone-destructive chemicals. Right. And, you know, I'm sitting here actually with the Smart Plastics Guide in front of me, and I see that it's perfect because you've got each of the numbers that we would see as consumers on the bottom of our plastic containers, and then you describe what each of those numbers is likely you know, the chemical compound and where we're likely to find it. And I look at number three and I think, Oh, my gosh, cooking oil and peanut butter, two things that are used almost ubiquitously in most consumer households. Yeah, and they're fatty foods that are likely to increase the leaching of whatever chemicals are in the plastic into the food itself and unnecessarily expose people to those chemicals. And don't you think that as consumers we think, or at least maybe I foolishly think this, that, well, if it's sold, if it's on the shelf, it's got to be safe. Yeah, most people do believe that. Unfortunately, our, our regulatory system, especially the way industrial chemicals are regulated in the United States, is 
sorely inadequate. The Toxic Substances Control Act is the law that regulates industrial chemicals in the U.S., and it was enacted in 1976. And it's only banned five chemicals in its long history. And it tried to ban asbestos, which we all know is a carcinogen, and everybody knows it's harmful. And after 10 years of rulemaking, the, the courts overturned their their action to to ban asbestos. So yeah, it's it doesn't it doesn't protect us. And isn't the thing, I think the acronym for that is TOSCA, right? If we yeah. ever hear that spoken, so it's the Toxic Substances Control Act. And is that act up for review? Is that why we've been hearing about it? Well, actually, um, it has never been amended in its 34-year history. But now we have some movement in Congress. In April, Senator Lautenberg introduced the Safe Chemicals Act of 2010, and we now have a House bill sponsored by Representative Rush and Representative Waxman. And, in fact, there was a hearing today on the House bill, and both bills would vastly improve the way chemicals are regulated. It would require the burden of proof beyond companies to prove that their chemicals are safe. It would require basic safety data. It would consider vulnerable populations like women and children, workers, disproportionately affected populations, et cetera. You know, I'm sitting here just thinking to myself, we've got a lot of work to do. And so on the one hand, we've got the policy side where we should, it sounds like we need to be informed on task. Where can we learn more about the act? Well, we are part of a coalition called Safer Chemicals Healthy Families, and you can go to the website. It's just saferchemicals.org, and just get the latest on what's happening with the bill and ways that you can personally get involved, um, contacting your legislator wherever you may live, <laughs> contact your, le- your congressional representatives to support the bill. Wow, this is fantastic information, Kathleen. So we'll make sure that we have that link on our radio's website, saferchemicals.org. It sounds like it's a wonderful place to stay up to date. Well, let's get back to the Smart Plastics Guide because I think that, you know, as I go down this list, I'm just appalled, especially after hearing you describe how weak our legislative process is in terms of controlling for the safety of these compounds that we're in contact with all the time. And in addition to the peanut butter issue, I just want to add that, you know, isn't peanut butter the thing that you throw into a backpack or you stick into the car, you think, well, it's not going to spoil, we can take it on hikes. And yet I would imagine that the heat, you know, if you've got a hot car, maybe heat would make those that migration of compounds even greater. Yeah, there is evidence that, that heating does increase leaching. Definitely there's a lot of studies with bisphenol A, and that's why we were really concerned with the fact that the phenol A was in baby bottles. Mm-hmm. So what do parents do with their baby bottle? They sterilize it. They put hot formula in it. And um, there were animal studies. Uh, it was first discovered in animal cages that there was leaching into the animals' water and food, and they found health effects in the animals, and that led the exploration to, to look at baby bottles and other human exposure to bisphenol A. And fortunately, in Minnesota, we passed a law in 2009 that bans polycarbonate baby bottles. So polycarbonate is the plastic that contains bisphenol A. So now you can't buy a BPA-contaminated baby bottle in Minnesota, and I think there's almost 10 states that now have laws. 
Mm. And a lot of manufacturers are phasing them out. So they're listening to consumers. Parents are saying, we don't want hormone-disrupting chemicals in our baby's bottles and sippy cups, and we want you to make safer products. Absolutely. And I believe, actually, the researcher who did a lot of the work on on BPA is at the University of Missouri, and his name is Fred Vomsall, and he's been a guest, actually, on Food Sleuth Radio in the past. He's a brilliant researcher, and he has been talking about the adverse effects of this compound for decades. Yes, he is, he is wonderful in both his research and his caring about this human exposure and advocating for protection. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about some of the other compounds. So consumers should be aware that number three is not one that we would want to be exposed to our food supply. What other numbers should consumers look and see and say, wait a second, that's not going to be my best choice? Well, we mentioned uh, number seven, polycarbonate. Um, Unfortunately, Number seven is the other category, so any all the new plastics will be labeled with number seven, mm. and some of them are safer than others. So if it says number seven PC, then you know it's polycarbonate. It could have bisphenol A in it, and so definitely avoid number seven PC. But there's a lot of new number sevens, so some of the new plastics like the copolyesters and the polyamide, um, that they're making baby bottles and water bottles out of now are number sevens, but they are safer and they don't contain bisphenol A. So it, it's a little confusing for consumers. It is very confusing. And on top of that, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but I've tried to call manufacturers and ask about their products. And a good example of this is uh, some of the Tupperware products and Rubbermaid products. You know, uh, those are typically found in consumer stores where you're looking for containers to hold your leftovers, for example. And I I don't know what numbers those are offhand. Do you know? Well, they could be di- – a lot of them are polyethylene or polypropylene. Okay, so polypropylene but, is number five. Yes. I, I see here on the SMART Guide it, it would be PP, polypropylene. It says that it's used in most Rubbermaid, Deli, soup, syrup, and yogurt containers. I am familiar with the yogurt container one. Straws and other clouded plastic containers, including baby bottles again. Is there a concern with number five? Well, number five in general is safer. So the the polyethylenes and the polypropylenes are generally safer for food use. What we recommend in the Smart Plastics Guide is that consumers don't microwave anything in the plastic. So... If you are going to microwave something, use glass or ceramic just to be extra cautious because we don't know what's actually going to happen with that plastic. And a lot of companies say they have microwave-safe plastic, and it actually is safer and more stable. There would be less leaching. But I just like to be extra cautious and recommend that people don't microwave plastic at all. I agree with you. And I came to that conclusion, actually, after talking to Dr. Vamsal, who also does, he never heats anything in plastic. So that should be a a word to our consumers out there. Okay, let's talk about a typical situation. We go to a restaurant. We can't finish our meal. We ask for a to-go box. It comes in styrofoam. Mm Mm-hmm. And then maybe we take it home, or even some restaurants will reheat something or heat something in a styrofoam container. 
it looks like that would be number six, and PS, or polystyrene, used in styrofoam foam food trays, egg cartons, disposable cups and bowls, carry-out containers, and opaque plastic cutlery. What do we know about number six? Yeah, so polystyrene is the other plastic that we should be concerned about, especially the soft styrofoam that's takeout container. So if you are in a restaurant and you have a styrofoam takeout container, it's fine, you know, to take it home, but definitely don't reheat your food in that. If you want to reheat your food, put it in a glass or ceramic container and reheat it and then just discard the the polystyrene. And as far as the disposables like cutlery and plates and cups, fortunately there's a lot of compostable corn-based plastics that are available now. So if you want to buy disposables, look for the ones that are compostable or corn-based. And even if you can't compost it, if you don't have a compost pile or you don't have access to a municipal compost facility, it's still better for the environment because it's made out of corn versus using the petrochemicals that most plastics are made from. I see. And I'll throw out a question, and that is I'm assuming that most of those corn-based plastic alternatives are made from genetically modified corn. Well, and that, that's the other thing. Another, My colleagues here at the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy, particularly um, Jim Kleinschmidt, he's working with companies to develop guidelines for sustainable biopolymers so that we, do, we don't have chemical inputs or GMOs that are going into producing the corn that's used for the product. So obviously there's many, many considerations, and both the personal exposure and the disposal concerns are two aspects, but then the whole life cycle of the product is very important as well. If you're just joining us, we are speaking with Kathleen Schuler, who is a senior policy analyst at the Institute of Ag and Trade Policy. Kathleen has a master's in public health, and she advocates for policies that protect human health and the environment from toxic chemicals. And Kathleen, this has just been a fascinating discussion. You are the author of the Smart Plastics Guide, Healthier Food Uses of Plastics. And we are going through the list of plastics that you have here. Many containers that I see on the market do have number one and two, and these would be things like, the, again, a ubiquitous product in, in most households is the, the classic milk jug, mm-hmm. and most of those would fall under the number two category or high-density polyethylene. Is it safer? Yeah, yeah. So, for example, water bottles are mostly number one or soda bottles are, are number one. And, you know, we, we don't encourage people to buy bottled water for lots of reasons. Right. <laughs> it's better to drink water out of your tap as long as your water is safe. And it's, it isn't safe in every community, but if you know your water is safe, it's better to just drink it out of the tap because bottled water isn't, uh, it's not regulated. So you don't really know what's in that bottled water. And then you're creating a waste product that takes energy to make it and, uh, a disposal problem. So, you know, we don't encourage bottled water, but that's tested for for single use. And even though number one is safer, we don't encourage people to, to keep reusing that same water bottle. It's better to get like a stainless steel water bottle and put your tap water in it. And if you're concerned, you can get, um, if you have fluorine in your water, you can get a, one of those Brita filter pit filter pitchers, or if you're concerned about other contaminants in your water, you can just get a filtration system for your 
cooking and drinking water. So that's an alternative to bottled water. And how about the number two, the high-density polyethylene? Same situation, or is that also designed as single-use? Yes, it is. So I wouldn't be concerned with, you know, your milk carton uh, because you're you're not heating it up. You're just drinking your milk out of it. Right. And you pretty much can't avoid it. I mean, they definitely, there's only a few organic milk companies that have milk in glass. You just really can't get your milk in glass anymore. So it's pretty hard for the average consumer to avoid it. It would be nice if we could get systems, like we have a lot of co-ops here in Minnesota where you can refill your containers, but a lot of communities don't have that. And so we end up creating waste by using these plastics for shampoo and or detergents and so forth. Mm-hmm. I neglected to tell our listeners that the Institute of Agriculture and Trade Policy is based in Minneapolis, Minnesota, so hence your experience there in Minnesota. You also mentioned earlier in our conversation that you are working with the, you're the co-director of a, an organization called Healthy Legacy. you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, Healthy Legacy is a public health coalition here in Minnesota, um, many other states have similar coalitions, and we have 33 members, and we're focused on trying to get toxic chemicals out of our consumer products. And our membership includes groups that represent people that are affected by some of these health problems, the Learning Disability Association, our Greater Twin Cities, the Women's Cancer Action We have public health groups like the Minnesota Public Health Association, the Minnesota Nurses Association, the Council of Churches, environmental groups like Clean Water Action and Sierra Club and some labor groups like SEIU Local 26. So we're a pretty broad coalition, and we helped get the uh, baby bottle ban in the Minnesota legislature on baby bottles and sippy cups to ban BPA so that those would be safer for Minnesota parents. And we're also working toward TSCA reform at the federal level and passing regulations of chemicals in children's products at the state level here in Minnesota. So those are some things that we work on. We try to provide educational materials like a children's guide, how to have a healthy lawn without putting pesticides on it. And we also work with businesses. We have... um, a business NGO work group trying to promote green chemistry as a solution for safer products. And then we also work on policy. Right. Let's get back to the smart plastics guide because as I'm going through here, I'm seeing other issues that I really want to talk about. You have 10 tips for safer, more sustainable food uses of plastics. And you have safer choices and ones that you absolutely want to avoid. The number three the number six, which is the polystyrene, and the number seven, especially the polycarbonates, are the ones that you say absolutely avoid. For consumers, is the number really the only issue or the best way that we have to know which plastics are better or worse? Well, the number is helpful, but the number is used on disposables. So, for example, food containers, personal care products, are labeled with a number because it's intended to be either either recycled or disposed of. For durable plastic goods, such as baby bottles, they do not have a label on them. Um, Many water bottles that people use, the sport bottles, 
a lot of them don't have labels on them or didn't used to. Now um, some of those things are increasingly labeled, and a lot of companies are saying BPA-free because they know that consumers are concerned about that. So there's a difference between the disposables and the durable goods, which are not as labeled as frequently. Mm, I see. So ultimately it's up to the consumer to make sure all these products are safe. Yes, and it's very, very confusing. Well, I think your advice to look into the Toxic Substances Control Act and to speak out, to first of all be aware of the plastics and the different categories, to you know, talk over the fence, talk to your neighbors, get online, use social media to spread the information that you've brilliantly compiled here. You're involved with safer chemical organizations. What other chemicals are you as concerned about? Well, we have worked on a on phthalates, which we mentioned is a plasticizer that's added to PVC plastic, and it used to be in children's chew toys, and now it's been banned at the federal level. It's also used in personal care products. It's used to bind fragrance in um, shampoos and perfumes and things like that. So a lot of times a product that has a fragrance in it will have phthalates in it, and um, that can expose people. They can breathe it in. It can. It's an allergen. It can cause asthma symptoms, and phthalates are also hormone disruptors. We've also worked on brominated flame retardants, which serve a useful purpose because they're flame retardants, but they're also very persistent. And they end up in our environment, and they build up in breast milk, and they build up in fish. And um, it's very important for us to try to find safer alternatives for these types of chemicals that do build up in the human body. It's so frightening. You know, you mentioned fish, and I know that you also authored a smart fish guide, and this is specific to Minnesota, but I think that you know, when I look at some of the U.S. geological surveys on water testing, I don't know that there's a body of water that isn't contaminated in the United States anymore, sadly. Yes, virtually every water body has mercury in it because mercury is a, a global contaminant and the biggest source of mercury is from burning coal. So pretty much every fish has mercury in it. It's just a matter of knowing which fish have less mercury, and then eating the smaller fish, and especially women of childbearing age need to be concerned so that they don't pass on their mercury body burden onto their uh, developing fetus. Kathleen, are you looking at all at the lining of cans, of food cans? Yeah, thanks for raising that issue, um, because another exposure to bisphenol A which, as we said, is a hormone-disrupting chemical, and through um, studies of mice, it's a potential carcinogen. It's a developmental toxin, and also it affects behavior and brain development. It's used in the plastic linings for cans. Pretty much every can has it, and you can see sort of that plastic lining in your can. Well, it contains bisphenol A, and it does leach out, we participated in a can lining study, and last spring the results came out that 90% of the cans that we tested were leaching bisphenol A into the into the food. And there's one company, Eden Organic Food, that uses an alternative that does not contain bisphenol A. And we recently found out that Mir Glen, which is owned by General Mills, has decided to use the safer can lining as well. 
but the majority of cans on the market do contain bisphenol A. Well, it may, you know, what spurred my, my memory about the cans was not only the whole plastic issue, but when we spoke about moms and children, you know, who are the more susceptible populations, pregnant women and children, and poor pregnant women and children often receive canned goods from food banks and food pantries. And I think about the injustice of their heightened exposure. Yeah, that's that's a concern. Um, and also another concern with low-income families is they might be buying used goods or used toys that might have some of these chemicals that are now banned. And, you know, somebody drops them off at Goodwill and then another family buys it and then unknowingly they could be exposing their child to to phthalates or bisphenol A, one of those banned chemicals. Well, Kathleen, I want to thank you so much for touching on critically important topics. I want to direct our listeners to the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. Their food and health program has one of the best one-stop shop sources for lots of safe guides. We have been speaking with Kathleen Schuler. She is a senior policy analyst at the Minneapolis-based Institute of Agriculture and Trade Policy, where she works and advocates for policies that protect human health and the environment from the toxic chemicals that we should be very much more aware of and concerned about. Kathleen, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. Just a quick reminder in closing that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you again, Kathleen.